we want to actually like start now? Yeah, sure. I mean, if we okay. must. I mean, we are getting it. It's late, isn't yep. it? I think it's. It's eight thirty. You're eight. We we haven't decided who was going to go first. Yes. Oh yeah, the question that I asked. <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> I'm guessing that we're gonna. There's gonna be more time needed for Black Panther. I kind of think so too. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like okay. I feel like so, we all have a lot of white guilt to get over on this one. Yep, all white of us. I mean, three of us. Yep. <laughs> the whole time I was reading that book, I was like, "Boy, I sure do feel bad for Stephen and John." <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, you should have said all trace of us. <laughs> Just. <laughs> Uh, well, um, Bienvenidos, a superhuman registration <laughs> podcast. Yo soy su host, Esteban. 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 Uh, my wife actually does call me Esteban. <laughs> nice. I like your wife more every day. <laughs> She's a keeper. Uh, and with us, with me on the podcast tonight, we've got Juan. No, I'm no, I'm not Juan. I am El Conquistador. That is, is, is how my name translates. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> what what would be the anglicized version of Aldo? Is there one? I don't think so. Uh, I, the closest bet would probably be Waldo. But if you must know, <laughs> when I worked at a call center, and uh, people over the phone had a lot of trouble saying my name, I would either go by Al or Alan. Oh, okay. So Alan is my uh, is my customer service personality. <laughs> oh goodness! Do you blame stuff yeah. on Alan? Never. Like no, <laughs> no. Alan is white. He would never do anything wrong. Oh god! <laughs> oh gosh! On that oh. note, um, we're going to talk about some comic books. We we read some stories and we're excited to talk about them. Uh, John, why don't you take it away? We're going to start with this kind of random uh, Wolverine story that we plucked out of the air. Well, is it a Wolverine story or is it a Jubilee story? Whoa. I don't know whose who's name is on the cover. Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a kid, off the spinner rack, I got Wolverine number 73, which was the second part of a three-part story. This was published in 1993. Wolverine and Jubilee have just finished a uh, fight. Uh, The X-Men had been fighting the Reavers um, in the outback in Australia. And um, they've been fighting some Sentinels. And just, it's real straightforward. They are investigating this um, kind of time warp that's going on. And um, a Sentinel gains sentience. And kind of has an existential crisis and tries to reactivate some other Sentinels. Jumps through the time the time warp and the Jubilee and uh, Wolverine go with him. And he's at this place called the Ant Hill in the Outback, which has a super weapon 
that could kill all the humans on Earth, but because Wolverine and Jubilee show compassion, the Sentinel decides he also needs to learn empathy to grow as a being, and he and the other Sentinels with him take off. After calculating, it'll take over 2,000 years for them to become more human, and they send Wolverine and Jubilee to Los Angeles. Why Los Angeles? I'll tell you. Because Jubilee stuck her head in this time warp and was able to see what happened to her parents. Um, she was adopted and uh, her actual parents were killed by some hitmen and she got to see that moment and see who they are and became obsessed with uh, getting some revenge and so they go to Los Angeles, they track them down and instead of uh, Jubilee becoming a killer um, with some goading slash advice from Wolverine she decides against it and just kicks him right in the junk and calls it a day. So the the this storyline ends really abruptly with Wolverine getting a a two two junk kick kick <laughs> two junk yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a double banger. Um, um and, it's uh, a double junk <laughs> kick. Yeah. Um a double junk jump kick. What's it's yeah, a, what starts it's two it's two servings of mashed potatoes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was beautiful. So, yeah, it ends really abruptly just like, ah, I'm not going to get revenge on the people who killed my parents, I'm just going to kick them in the gonads and call it a day. And that's it. Uh, it, it. It was the sentinel that had the power to possibly wipe out all life if uh, he wasn't stopped by Wolverine and Jubilee. And uh, it ends with a uh, straight shot to the... Straight shot to the... Well, it's a big old squirrel tap. Anyway, um, this was odd because as a kid I only read the middle part and I was like, oh man, things are going to re- get really bad when this sentinel activates all these other sentinels and it ends on a cliffhanger where you know, the the one sentinel they're fighting is calling out numbers and they're like, what, are you playing bingo? And he goes, no, those are what sentinels use for names. Oh no, and then it's just wrapped up really quickly and then we move on. And so th- this is kind of... Um, Guys, it was kind of a letdown from childhood. Um, kind of, uh, you think things are going to end one way and they don't. Maybe it's part of growing up. Maybe it's part of realizing that uh, your childhood heroes may not always stay that way. Um, you know, it reminded me of a boxed set of the Thundercats TV show that I've, <laughs> I've never opened. Have I mentioned this before a million times, probably? No, I have the no. Thundercats. My grandmother gave me this Thundercats box set, and I loved Thundercats as a kid, but I'm afraid to open it. I'm afraid to watch it, because I don't want it to be bad, and it's probably a badly animated and, and acted show, and it's probably really cheesy. But as a kid, I ate that up, and I loved it. And, and I'm afraid it, it's my Schrodinger's Thundercat, because I'm, I'm afraid to, to open the box and watch it. <laughs> John, if it makes you feel any better, um, I bought the entire series of the original Speed Racer cartoon on Blu-ray. Oh, that's probably doesn't hold up as well either. I have not opened it either. Yeah. I don't. There's no swords in in Speed Racer. No, there's there's a car that does a little sound every time it jumps, but uh, (laughs) I don't know if my heart can take that. You know, or it could also just be that, like, maybe it's not that, like, you grew up and your heroes suck. Uh, it could just be that you just read, you know, the middle part to an to a bigger story. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was just like, I don't know. I, I, I like the Sentinels as a bad guy for the X-Men. Maybe it's because my first introduction to X-Men was the animated series where they're the bad guy. That's probably it. Yeah, I'm not going to dig deeper into that mystery. It's 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 <laughs> it's because of the cartoon. But I like him. I like him as the bad guy. And um, uh, Wolverine and Jubilee feature, you know, in that. And, uh, um, yeah, they're just cool characters. And this was, like, the height of their coolness. And I like... I don't know the art in the first two issues. I like much better than the third. The third gets a little, a little crazy. Um, you know, I think that like the paneling and the layouts still kind of work, but they, you know, the artist changes in the third um, issue. This was um, written by Larry Hama, and then the first issue uh, and second issue. Oh shoot! This is well, this is worthless. The app doesn't always give me the comic yeah. information. Uh, the first two issues are by Dwayne Turner, and the last issue is drawn by Jim Fern. Yeah, the style of the third one I don't like as much. Um, I but there's some I actually really dug the third issue, the art of the third issue. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I I don't know that I like it more. Uh, or it's maybe it's just because I'm not really well acquainted with any of these artists or writers from today. But the I don't know. The third issue was kind of a nice surprise. Really good Wolverine design in that third issue. I gotta say, he's short. He's ugly. That's all I want. Really fond of uh, page 12 when they get stuck in that time bubble thing and they look a, they look like a little distorted. Yeah, and Wolverine just has like this, uh, like just like this, not goofy, but like just an odd face as he's like. It's like he's a dog with huge jowls sticking his head out the window. <laughs> yes. And his lips are just like getting pulled back. Yeah, that's what he looks like. I I don't know if that it feels less like a choice and more just like bad art to me. I don't know. And like he falls, he literally falls out of this time warp thing and is smoking again. Like the second he he stands up. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I didn't notice that. That's really yeah. funny. You you know why I like this art actually. Yeah, you know, you know what I like about it though. I think because it, it reminds me a lot of the Max. Oh, the Max. Just an art style, um, but it reminds me of kind of like those big exact like Wolverine specifically reminds me of like those big exaggerated Max type characters. And uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I'm not sure that is like a saving grace of it necessarily, but. I definitely see... Well, I don't know. I keep picking up the Max thinking that the artwork is distinct and I might like it this time. And then I always put it down and like, maybe next time. <laughs> it's like I watch uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom once a decade to remind myself that I really hate that movie. Just, <laughs> like, just yeah, yeah. There are, some movies, there are some movies that you have to do that, right? Yeah. Because you're like, so, uh, maybe it wasn't all bad. I mean, Monkey Brains is gross, but maybe there's some cool act. No, it's, it's just stupid. <laughs> So, um, we keep talking about this, like, time portal. Did we ever, like, establish where that came from? Because it's just yes. like a time portal sitting in the middle of the the Australian outback, right? It's, it's from a, a, the previous fight that they had um, with the Reavers. One, I think uh, one of the characters opened it up. And they're they're checking it out. Yeah, um, so there's this, there's this uh, peripheral X-Men character named gateway who is an australian aborigine who has like 
a giant uh, like I don't I don't remember what it's called like a whirly gig. I don't I don't yeah. think that's actually what they call it. Oh, but, so but but Gateway's not he's he's a mutant, not a not a failing not a failing outdoor mall in Salt Lake, Utah. That keeps trying to get revitalized and fails <laughs> continuously year over year as a waste of taxpayer money and effort. Right? He's a mutant. <laughs> Such an insular reference. Yeah, that'll get us a lot of res- listeners out there. <laughs> I just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> they have that cool soda and candy shop. <laughs> Do they still? And the Are Barnes and Noble. Still there? You know, I haven't been there in months and months, so who knows? Oh yeah, the Barnes and Noble, lest we forget. Yeah, it's gone. Oh no! Oh, really? That's the saving grace. Yeah, the, the only reason I ever... Well, I, I go to the movie theater there every now and again. Oh yeah. Well, or I used to in the before times. I love that because you park right there and you go up the escalator and you're in the theater. It's great. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it's not that gateway. This is a different gateway. <laughs> but, yeah, he has the ability to create, like, time and space portals. Um, have we seen the character Eden? Not on our, in our readings, no. No. Okay, because I believe there's a character who is Gateway's son, who has kind of a similar power, runs around with the Avengers and uh, Black Panther every now and again. Huh. I believe. I might, I might be mistaken on that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so X-Men are weird. And what? There's all, it, it is that sort of like, how much reference do you need going into this story? Like, you know who Wolverine is, you know who Jubilee is, you probably know who the Sentinels are. But then you've also got all of this leftover, like, oh, they were fighting the Reavers. Well, who are the Reavers? Oh, and there's this portal. How did the portal get here? Well, it's from Gateway, right? Like, you do have all of these little peripheral elements, but this is very much just, uh, like, I can see this being somebody's first comic. Drop into the middle of it, figure out what's going on. Like, your, your imagination gets prompted by all of these other things that you're seeing, and then you just kind of move on to the next thing. I think this was my first solo Wolverine book. I'm pretty sure because I've I read um, X Men, but I, I don't know if this that was before that was after. But I'm pretty sure this was my first um, Wolverine. This um, second issue, I really love page four when they actually go into the uh, portal and things get really crazy. The panel is broken up so where the figures are black and white, but then all the backgrounds are different colors and all the kind of panel is all shattered. And then we get you know, Wolverine in a cool pose, fa- falling down this portal in, in silhouette, and then he's, like, doing this cool leap out of the way as the Sentinel tries to blast him. You know, there's cool little things like that that add to it. Um, but, yeah, we get this... It's always kind of creepy when you realize how old Wolverine is and any kind of relationship he has with any female at all. Hey, <laughs> but it's, stop it. <laughs> no, it's the thing. I just, like... But it's of, not. It's, it's never like that. <laughs> No, but like, I, what is like? What? How would you like Wolverine Jubilee? Is it like mentor, mentee, big sister? Yes. Or, or, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> All right. End of story. Steven's paternal instincts just kick in. <laughs> will not ruin I this feel for very me. Strongly, <laughs> I feel very strongly about you know, gruff old man has to help young girl like those types of stories and. They they're wholesome, <laughs> which I'm I'm saying we got to read Second Coming, because um, that that there it is right there. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty persuasive to me. <laughs> so it's more X Men. Mm. That's less so. <laughs> so I um I loved how 
Oh, Ju- uh, Jubilee's dialogue is just so awful. It's, it's like, so bad. It's like, <laughs> oh, what, yeah. What would a 90s teen who hangs out at the mall sound like? <laughs> and um, I, the only thing I know about Larry Hama, um, apart from like knowing the name just from in comics or whatever, is um, Greg Capullo mentioned him being a, like a motivating factor in him like coming like coming to Marvel. And kind of giving him some really tough constructive criticism that really helped him, um, but that's a different podcast. And you're listening to our podcast, so shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I got Larry Hama um, is someone whose name I've heard a lot. Larry Hama wrote the GI Joe comics for Marvel when they first started publishing GI Joe. Okay, and that includes some of the. Uh, Arguably some of the best single issues of all time. There's a very famous, I think it's G.I. Joe 21, which is a story about Snake Eyes infiltrating a Cobra base to rescue Scarlet, and he winds up fighting the uh, Cobra Ninja, whose name I don't remember, and at the very end of it, they both have their sleeves ripped off, and you realize they have the same tattoos, which indicates that they're like some, like they've, they've got some shared background in their training and stuff like that. Uh, that was Larry Hama. It was, it's a very famous silent issue. There's no words in it. Oh. He also co-created Bucky O'Hare, which was a 90s cartoon trying to capitalize on the success of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles about a spacefaring rabbit and his crew of various mammal rebels fighting against the evil toad empire that i swear existed yeah. and every time i tell people about it i i feel like i'm hallucinating no but i no, remember real. that yeah i yes. remember that yeah good that was not a fever dream i was or unless we shared it <laughs> they had very good toys the bucky o'hare toys were very good and apparently yeah. the show was only mediocre because it only lasted like six episodes or something man I bet there's like a room, like a warehouse room somewhere of like all the Burger King toys from like Street Sharks and Battle Toads and, and Gargoyles and uh, uh, SWAT Cats and uh, just like all these weird shows that like... He's the Green Rabbit. He's the Green Rabbit. Okay. I know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So we were complaining about Jubilee's, uh, I don't know, voice, I guess. That's Lions. my only. That's my only like complaint about about Larry Hama is that specific like yeah dialogue of like everything's to the max. Yeah, but also I mean Wolverine doesn't fare much better in this either. Oh, that's typical Wolverine though. No, yeah, the I don't know. It's it read a little bit more like cheesy eighties one. I mean that's exactly what they are, right? Cheesy eighties one liners. But there's like some of the ones where like it's the first issue when it's like that cyber dog. And they're like, is that a dog? And he's like, yeah, but not one you want to catch a frisbee with. And it's like, just say it's a murder robot dog, please. (laughs) (laughs) It's not how Wolverine talks. I know. (laughs) Yeah, Wolverine's got to call himself the Knucklehead. Yeah. That always bothered me. It's like, no one talks like that. And it's consistent. (laughs) But it's Wolverine. Yeah. (laughs) So... I looked up Knuckle, a- and there's an urban dictionary, dictionary uh, definition of it. Oh, no, it we're going to have witty, to put the... It, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's a witty, wisecracking online friend who supplies TH all, at all the right times. Ah. Okay, but I thought a Canuck was a Canadian thing. Yeah, but what's a Knuckle? It's the, the, the knuckling of a Canuck. 
Oh my gosh, it just occurred to me that it's probably a portmanteau of Canuck and Knucklehead. And knucklehead. Oh, hey. And I hate it so much. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I just thought it was someone like couldn't spell knuckle and now it now it, that's definitely what it is and I really hate it now. Oh man. Yeah, so a Canuck is a Canadian. I didn't know that. Right. Um, I didn't know right. that. <laughs> I learned today. Well, okay. So there's a comic book called Captain Canuck. It is about a patriotic Canadian superhero. Did Man. He a moose? I don't believe so. <laughs> he did, should. Did he throw a maple maple leaf shield? No, he definitely had a maple leaf uh, costume. Of course he did. Yeah, he actually doesn't look that different from like a character from Alpha, Alpha Flight. Flight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he really does look like Alpha Flight. Um, but yeah, Wolverine's got the worst nickname in comics. It's pretty bad. That's worse than Shellhead or Spidey. I mean, he's also named after an oversized rodent. Yeah. And, and also, uh, I mean, like, the dude was supposed to be like a mutant Wolverine at the beginning. He wasn't very well thought out. Let's 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 just put it that way. <laughs> it took them a while to find their footing with him. <laughs> yeah. they, so the idea, um, it was, he was, you know, introducing the Hulk, someone to fight the Hulk. And then later they were like, ah, oh, he's a mutant. And they were, with giant size X-Men, thinking, you know, X-Men sells really well across the whole world. Let's let's find those markets where it's doing really well and feature a mutant from those places. I don't think they actually ended up doing that and like matching up, uh, you know, those places. So that's how we get, you know, uh, Colossus from Russia, Storm from Egypt. We get um, Nightcrawler from Germany, you know, and like half a dozen, you know, other guys... Um, that was the intent or whatever, and I'm paraphrasing from a uh, um, Len Wein uh, interview where they talk mm. about you know Wolverine and they talk about other X-Men, but um, they were like, let's make him Canadian, and they were like, yeah, he'll talk in a Canadian accent. Oh, wait, that written looks the same as an American accent. <laughs> like it's uh, <laughs> So he ends up dropping his Gs, and that's about it, and saying Canuckle, which I oh, hate. Oh, ugh. I hate saying it. It's like up now. It's now. It's like my moist. How people hate the word moist. <laughs> you know, I always thought that knuckle head meant something. Right. I just thought they were spelling knuckle wrong. Like some people spell possum, opossum. Oh my gosh! It gets worse because it might be like they're pronouncing the K in knucklehead. I, oh my I gosh! I don't. I no. I I'm sticking with that first one, where it's a uh, combination of knucklehead and knuck. He's Canadian. Like, probably, it makes right. sense. Right. Yeah, he, yeah. I'm just saying it's got layers to it, and they're all bad. no. See, this is not an onion. It's just a name. <laughs> it's it's I weird. I didn't like, say it was an onion. <laughs> you said it has layers. Other things have layers. Is this like a disconnect? Do you think between like how people really talk and how writers write? <laughs> this is not. This is nothing against Larry Hama. This is in general because sometimes you run into that where it's like, what are you? What are you? T- what are you talking about, man? I mean, you. I mean, you don't think this is the disconnect between of, of, <laughs> between uh, I don't know, eighties youth culture and the forty to maybe fifty year old man writing eighties youth culture in the nineties. Do you know what the? Do you know what the worst part of the word knucklehead is? Oh my gosh, Stephen! <laughs> if you Google it, the first result is not Wolverine. Is it Dudley Do Right? No, there's a song. <gasps> no. There's a song called Knucklehead by the Devon Townsend Project. That means that 
there's that that means that they're gonna say it in the song most likely, and then we'll be able to hear if it's knuckle or they say knuckle. <laughs> oh, I hate saying it. I hate my tongue for say making <laughs> those words. You know what I thought was interesting, just by pure coincidence. Do you know what story immediately follows this Wolverine story? Pray tell. Sure. It's Fatal Attractions. Oh. oh. Yeah, Wolverine number 75 is the issue of Fatal Attractions where Wolverine's lying on the plane. His uh, adamantium's been ripped from his skeleton and the plane is crashing and it's super weird. That's huh. why the next cover looked familiar to me. I was yeah. like, did I own this one too? Nope, we read it for this show. I did. Uh-huh. The, that's the thing. Wolverine number 75, which was the Fatal Attractions story, might have been my first issue of Wolverine. Crazy. Just goes to show that you and I came of age at the same time. Yep. I, like, that's literally all it shows. We're the same age. Yep, yep, uh, yep, that's accurate. We got those comics from Toys R Us or whatever. Um, <laughs> if it makes you guys feel any better, my first uh, book I ever bought that owned Wolverine was probably Avengers vs. X-Men. Oh, goodness. That, that doesn't really help like you think it would. <laughs> uh, well, I failed. Okay, moving on. <laughs> what did you guys, I mean, like, what What did you guys think? I, uh, like, I appreciated reading, after reading so many, like, big, important books for the podcast, every once in a while it feels nice to just read kind of and I don't want to say it's, I don't want to say it in a negative connotation, but it is nice to read something disposable. Uh, something that yeah, like no, doesn't get, get affect. Yeah. It doesn't affect the whole standing of the world. The stakes aren't like, I mean, yeah, there's still like earth shattering stakes here. Right. Cause the Sentinel's going to shoot a giant gun into the sun or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> which the logistics on that don't really make sense. Cause they're going to shoot it at sunrise, but it would still take, so much time for that being to anyways i'm overthinking a book that uh with a character that calls himself a knucklehead um but anyways he's gonna shoot the sunrise guys yeah (laughs) but uh uh but it it, you know but it has like this kind of dumb it's not dumb it's like a neat ending right where like they show compassion to each other and the machine is like oh man if i'm gonna be like like i'm gonna be thinking like a human or whatever I guess I got to figure this out, but in a very machine way, it's like, well, uh, you know, we'll be, we'll be back in uh 2100 years to kick your butts. Yeah. Once we know how to em- em- empathize, I guess. <laughs> I do think it's funny that that Sentinel became self-aware because he looked up and went, Oh, those are stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. I, well, I guess I have free will. <laughs> 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 I uh, I legitimately not knowing a whole lot about X Men history or or yeah X Men history because there's a lot of X Men history. I legitimately I was I I thought I was reading a book that was gonna set up like the birth of Nimrod. I thought that Sentinel was gonna become like the seed for it, it Nimrod, could have, but just eh. it doesn't. And I I like that. This is kind of disposable. It's it's kind of like junk food comics in in a way like this is fun it's enjoyable we get like a nice little ending uh we get jubilee saying path like every other panel for s- some dumb reason because that's what she calls her she doesn't say oh yeah she does she say does say path to her power I'll path yeah, I'll yeah. path them in the head 
it'll be a it'll be a quick concise path right at the right at the brainstem and it'll 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 paralyze you and nobody'll know but me cuz I pathed you path path um she says it a lot but uh guys did we forget to mention that the sentinel's name is pi yeah Yes. Yeah, that, that's that's a shortcoming. <laughs> hey, edit edit this at the beginning of my whole uh, explanation. Oh, and the Sentinel, his name is Pi. <laughs> there we go. Fix it in post. Yep. We got I it. mean, they don't call him Pi the Sentinel. They call him three point one four one five nine two six the Sentinel, which is not better. Is that actually Pi? Because I thought some of those numbers looked wrong. It's it's Pi. Did you did you confirm? For maybe it was Pi known at the time. Oh no. Pius well, I mean, like, one four one five nine. I used to have Pi memorized out to like the twentieth decimal place because I am a nerd. Three point one four one five nine is. Let me let me clear something up. Uh, us being on a comic book podcast, those are nerds. You memorizing the first twenty digits of Pi, that's a geek. <laughs> See, I that actually that might be a tool, honestly. <laughs> doesn't make you friends i'll tell you that much (laughs) you know what speak for yourself it was me and my buddies helping each other memorize pie okay but you were friends previously you know maybe the real pie was the friends we made along the way maybe the real 20th digit of pie is the friends we made (laughs) because it certainly isn't phone numbers for cute girls oh uh Maybe if I can get all the numbers, I can get all the friends. No. So, do we have any more to say about Wolverine? Uh, man, Jubilee sure wears some, like, really short shorts. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, well, okay, let's not, let's not criticize a teenage girl for her choice of outfits. <laughs> that's my, that's my 30-year-old man coming out, just being like, your, your parents let you leave the house dressed like that? Looking, looking <laughs> like a stop sign with short shorts? Yeah, you big old yellow jacket. Your <laughs> name on your earrings? What's the deal? <laughs> Do your parents know when you are? <laughs> this is probably pure nostalgia talking, but I actually love 90s Jubilee costume. Oh, no. It's, like, it's, it's so yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, it's fine. I kind of love it. Yeah. No, I, it's, it, 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 it is unquestionable. It's like, that's Jubilee's outfit. Don't you think the shorts are... That's just what she... Shut up. That's what she wears. <laughs> what about that jacket? That jacket, like, it can't be comfortably... No, 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 no. It's like a rain slicker material, right? Shut up. Shut up, shut up. It's yeah, just... okay. But also, okay, but also, uh, those gloves with that jacket, girl, it's not working. You gotta rethink that. I don't know. The color scheme matches Wolverine. She That's how you know they're on a team. Setter. Trend setter. But Wolverine's not wearing any pink. He's usually, like, covered in some blood. So. <laughs> yeah. I think they're counting on that. Also, is this? Oh, yeah, that's right. It was it was him getting the adamantium like ripped out of him that helped like accelerate his like healing factor. Because I was gonna say one of the things I noticed in this book is like how long it takes them to heal up after they get their butts kicked by a sentinel. Well, this is that happens after getting the adamantium ripped out. This is like yeah, the sentinel blasted him, which would have killed any number of people and so it's taken him an extra trip they have to amp up the drama no no yeah that's what that's what i'm saying though it's like this is before he got that buff yeah yeah uh yeah i like that uh yeah that was a neat story i also like that bit where uh uh pie (laughs) i refuse 
to call them by the first five numbers of pi. Uh, where pi uh, started ripping like another sentinel's face off for himself because he's the he's the he, I need spare parts. Yeah, because he's like the important one, and the other the other ones are already like, no, we have consciousness. Why would you do <laughs> I that? There's a really funny, there's a really funny XKCD comic where it's like my dreams are getting really weird, and this girl comes up to this guy and she's like, "Don't wake up. If you wake up, I'll die." It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! That's... Spoilers for the Legend of Zelda: Link's Awakening. Oh, oh, guys, nice one, guys. I'm in trouble. Um, side note to everything: I got a switch, uh, just a switch light, and holy crap, um, I'm playing Zelda again. Which one? Breath of the Wild. Oh. Like, as if there ever needs to be any other video game ever. Well, I mean, there is Link's Awakening. Well, I mean, yeah, but I'm, I'm not done. The playing. one that we were just talking yeah. about. Yeah. I'm not there yet. you got to <laughs> slow down. I'm not even done playing it's, it Breath of the Wild It technically came before again. Breath of yeah. the Wild. Link's Awakening was released first in, like, 95 It was a Game Boy game. Yeah. It was, rev- it was, it was revolutionary. You feel better? <laughs> got to be technically correct. The best kind of correct. <laughs> yes, please continue what you were saying so we can correct you later. Breath of the Wild is really good, guys. That's all. <laughs> yeah. He mentions, uh, Wolverine mentions in passing, uh, or like you see in the first issue, some like like a robot Wolverine and like a little girl robot. And I read, an, I read a comic with them in it, and now I can't find it in the app. So that's my next random comic we read will be <laughs> trying to find... Uh, uh, the the weird comic that John read from the flea market back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, can I? One one of the things I really like about I don't know char- character consistency is a really cool thing. Um, specifically, one of the things I like about Wolverine is how uh, I know like we see him like as a mentor today because he was literally a teacher and a principal of a school. And like his whole deal about that was helping teach these kids how like how to defend themselves, control themselves, but also be educated enough uh, so that they don't have to fight, right? So they don't have to, so they don't have to be recruited in a in a right. psychic jerks mutant uh, child soldier inter inter uh, you know camp, and you know that's a really cool thing. And then like that kind of comes into play here, you know, like twenty years, almost thirty years prior. And he's trying to do what he can to make sure that Jubilee doesn't kill, even though he's, you know, he's always been more than willing to do the dirty things uh, that nobody else should do. And he takes that burden onto himself. And I appreciate that he doesn't let, you know, these younger characters kind of fall into that. Like he tries to do everything he can to like uh, prevent that. And he does it like in a way where like he doesn't physically restrain them. But he really does kind of let them kind of figure it out on their own. Yeah. And that's, and like, he doesn't, like, he's really, you know, empathetic about that. He understands, like, what it means or how it feels to want revenge and to, like, kill these people. And, like, he just doesn't, he's like, I understand that, like, more than you'll ever will understand how much I understand it. But, like, I cannot let you do this because it'll send you down a dark path. And it's one I have to live with literally forever because I cannot die. And it's, it's 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 good. It's good character yeah. consistency writing. There's a good line in there 
I don't remember exactly how it goes, and I didn't, like, get a screenshot of it or anything, but where Wolverine's talking to Jubilee, and, like, they're talking about how many people he's killed, and Wolverine's like, you want to stay up with me one night and talk to them? Yeah, that was, that was a... That's haunting. Really crazy, yeah, little character peek. Interesting thing about this story is, like, you've got these two very disparate elements. The self-aware Sentinel, and then Jubilee seeing her parents die. And you kind of wonder how those plot threads are going to converge. And they never quite do, but thematically they do have some parallels. And, like, I applaud the effort. I don't think it quite pulls it off. But they are definitely trying to tell the story where Jubilee is going to get her revenge on the men who killed her parents, but she can't because that's not who she is. Like, throughout the Sentinel story, you see Jubilee have opportunities to do a lot of damage to the Sentinels, but she takes pity on them. And then she takes... It's not quite taking pity, but then she winds up sparing the, the men who killed her parents. And there is a direct parallel drawn. Like, Wolverine points out, like, this is who you are. You are not a killer. But, like, I don't think that the, the two narrative threads really come together as tightly as the creators want them to. But I applaud the effort regardless. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it kind of reminds me, not... You know, not Marvel related, but it it really does remind me of like Avatar, the Last Airbender, because like that. Oh, the Zuko and Katara stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the exact thought. Or, or to to a slightly lesser extent, uh, you know, I'm gonna weeb out just for a small second here. Uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, when Winry has the opportunity to kill her father's murderer with a gun, and. Uh, Oh, yeah. And Ed is just like, no, like, your hands are meant to heal. Like, this isn't who you are. She's like, but I could do it. He's like, I will do it. You don't have to. And it's like, <gasps> she can't kill. She shouldn't. That'll hurt her. It'll it'll hurt her more than it'll hurt the guy she's going to kill. <laughs> I don't know, man. I like I like that moment. It's a, it's, I don't know that it's a bad trope, but I enjoy that trope. It's a good story trope. It was a good tangent. I always appreciate a good Full Metal Alchemist tangent. Uh, we got a lot of conversation out of this Wolverine book. Yeah, more than I expected. <laughs> Way more than I expected. I think it's time to start talking about the book that we actually thought was going to take time. Oh boy. <laughs> it was, uh, hmm, interesting story. So this is uh, Black Panther versus the Clan that ran in the unfortunately named comic series Jungle Action back in 1976. Issues 19 through 24. Uh, we had multiple creators on it. The The writer chiefly throughout is uh, Don McGregor. The artist, the main artist throughout, they, they did wind up changing artists towards the end, is a man named Billy Graham. Not that one. <laughs> and then we had Bob McCloud doing the inks and... Uh, they don't give me the name here. D. Wool is the letterer, and P. Goldberg is the colorist. Petra Goldberg is the color colorist, and Denise Wool is the letterer. There we go. Um, but again, they did wind up changing creators uh, towards the end. Uh, they they also had inks by Jim Mooney. They had lettering by Irving Watanabe. Pencils by Rich Buckler. 
Uh, another colorist was Al Wenza. Like, the, a lot of different creators on this. Uh, but Don McGregor is the, the main writer. The story uh, follows the Black Panther, who is currently in uh, the United States with a woman who is apparently his girlfriend at this moment. Her name's Monica Lynn. Uh, they've come here to investigate the death of her sister. It was ruled a suicide, but story isn't quite adding up. While they're in the cemetery, uh, kind of giving Monica the, the opportunity to mourn her sister's passing, they are attacked by a bunch of people who look like they belong to the clan. Like the, the Ku Klux Klan, that's who we're talking about. They're not, though. These are, like, they're members of the Dragon Circle or something like that. But everybody comments on the fact that they look very, very similar to the clan, and they have similar methodologies to the clan. Um, while they're there, they also, the, uh, the Panther and Monica meet up with a reporter who's, uh, oh gosh, what was his name again? It's, it's something that's Kevin hilariously Tr Kevin unknown. Trueblood? Kevin Trueblood. It, it's a very, like, hilariously on-the-nose comic book name. Uh... Mr. Trueblood is a reporter. He's also looking into Amanda's sister's death. And so the three of them start this investigation where they're trying to track down who is responsible. And they're setting up all of this really intricate stuff. Like, there's this group that looks like the Ku Klux Klan that attacked them. That They aren't the Ku Klux Klan, but they use similar techniques. And then the actual Ku Klux Klan also gets involved and they are attacking the Panther and Monica trying to uh, kill them. Uh, we get The panther winds up getting in some really harrowing scrapes. At one point, the clan tie him to a cross and light it on fire. And he breaks out of it and runs away with the cross still on fire, still strapped to his back. It is wild stuff. Um, and they're building up this story to head somewhere. Uh, you get the impression that there is some sort of evil mastermind uh, that is manipulating both groups, maybe with a little bit of mind control. Some members of this uh, dragon circle are not... Like, the, there, there are some black people in the dragon circle, so it's not clear who's going on, what their motivation is. But all throughout, you get Monica and her parents kind of talking to each other, talking to the reporter about what it is like to live in a community that's overrun by the Klan, to, uh, like, they talk about the overt racism... There's a lot of references to the fact that the Klan has actually infiltrated the local government, which that hurt to read in the year of our Lord 2020. Yep. Um, just so much, like, really compelling stuff. Then there's this interesting little divergence where um, Monica's mother is telling her a story about one of their ancestors who was lynched by the Klan, and Monica, just in her head, is making up another story where the panther actually intervenes and saves people. It's it's really kind of interesting, a bit of a diversion, fun enough for what it's worth. And then the last issue rolls around and uh, there is a random guy who shows up out of nowhere, fights the panther, uh, ties him to a uh, water wheel, the panther breaks free, and then the story ends and the series got cancelled, so they didn't actually conclude it. Well, they they kind of did later. It goes back to Jack Kirby, and he took over the Black Panther title. But it uh, I, there was a summary I was watching of that, and it it kind of picks it up. But it also like 
I did did you guys read this hoping that like Black Panther was just going to beat the living snot out of every member of the clan and just pile them up outside of a barn? Yes. yes. I was hoping for that catharsis. That's yes. what I was hoping for too, and it never really got to that. But I guess in a sense, you it's know? like unfortunately accurate to like yeah. the reality of dealing with like the clan, right? Like that is the unfortunate like truth is that as you know, at least as far as we've been able to experience, uh, it's never really feels like they get true justice and that's no. unfortunate here and and it's something that like i don't know i feel like the catharsis would be nice right like the same catharsis you get from seeing that captain america cover where he's punching hitler in the face um yeah. but it's also like a very it's also a very real current thing then and now and and it feels i don't know disingenuous to maybe have that victory over the clan because it's something that we don't get in real life. Um, it's kind of the same way that like, but maybe to like a lesser extent to the same way that like comics tiptoed around the events of 9-11 so much. Because it would just feel a little disingenuous. To I mean, they did one where that. like the superheroes just like were like, oh, what, what can we do? Because it took everybody by surprise. Yeah, and Doctor but, Doom yeah. cries. Yeah, Doctor Doom cries. <laughs> But yeah, I get what I get what you're saying. It's like you, there's there's some some line that like you can't really cross because it's yeah 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 like I would appreciate I mean I would have appreciated that catharsis, but I think I kind of prefer that bit of honesty just a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree. Also, I like I know I, I did do a lot of reading on Wikipedia and other places trying to get a little bit more information about the story. And I know they did wrap it up eventually. Uh, but th- there's something I really like these sort of ambitious projects that wind up getting cut short. It's, it's, it's a topic that I have a lot of fascination with, not necessarily to the point where I have expertise to talk about it, but just like, uh, I like it when creators like run wild like they get to exercise their ambition they get to try to really do something interesting and if they get cut short to me that's almost like it's not better obviously you want the creators to be able to to really explore their their storytelling right but i i find it fascinating there's something about it that engages the imagination and it actually does kind of remind me of this this story that monica tells herself about the uh Oh gosh, what was this crazy name that she came up with? The Soul Strangler. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sort of like fantastical story she tells herself. There is something about the uh, unfinished story that really inspires a lot in the imagination. And frankly, as Aldo was kind of saying, with this story, leaving it unfinished feels kind of thematically appropriate. It sucks that the ending that they do have is so bad. It reminds me of Pushing Daisies, right? Yeah, that... That final issue absolutely feels like, like that, like they like they got the phone call, uh, maybe halfway through writing it, and they were like, "Ah, oh, by the way, it's uh, it's getting canceled. So if you can, you can figure out how to wrap this up, tie up your loose ends." And, yeah, and they're just like, "Oh, yeah. I'm halfway through drawing this." <laughs> yeah, because I was I did a little I did a little bit of Wikipedia reading specifically on. Uh, uh, geez, what was his name? Like Speedwing, something like that. Wind Eagle. Oh, yeah. I was about to ask if anybody did that because I didn't look. I did. Uh, there's not a lot. Wind there's Eagle. not a lot about Wind Eagle. Wind Eagle. He, all, all that I really found out is that he's Hispanic, 
Uh, he's kind of brainwashed by the by the Dragon Circle people. He eventually kind of breaks free, but he has a rivalry with Black Panther, so he attacks him like a couple of the times. Um, huh. But like, I guess part of the intrigue so, so is that weird. the suit he has is a copy of Falcon suit using Wakandan uh, vibranium that they don't know how he they how the gold how the Dragon Circle got. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so there's like there's a bit there. Obviously, we don't get a whole lot of it here, and they expand on it a little bit later. But it seems to just not really go anywhere. Gosh, I'm flipping through that issue 24, that last issue, and you know how like it's what page 10. There's just like a pinup of the Black Panther because it's like, well, we don't have any, we don't have enough story to fill 16 pages, so let's add just like a, a fill-in page with some art. Uh, it's so disappointing because I was getting into this story. Yeah. And then you get to issue 24 and issue 24 is such a disappointment, but mm-hmm. 1920 and especially issue 21, those were such good issues. One of the things I really wanted to touch on actually before maybe even moving more into the comic was Don McGregor himself. Um, I want to point out that most of the creative team, on this book is white with the exception of artist Billy Graham, who dropped off like after issue 20 something, I think 22, uh, he 21, the one that I was just talking about. Yeah. Well, uh, according to Wikipedia, he penciled the first five pages of 22. Um, so, oh, okay. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, but anyways, point is, you know, he, he essentially finished 21 and then left, uh, pretty quickly thereafter. And uh, Don McGregor is a is a writer, a uh, white writer, um, and he has a pretty interesting story himself. He's actually one of the first people to like create graphic novels, which is really interesting to hear about. Um, but specifically, I was reading this little this quote from him about writing this book specifically, and it, it he talks about. And actually, I'm just gonna read the quote. I came to Marvel Comics because I loved Marvel Comics. As the line burgeoned, one of my jobs was to read all the reprint titles. One of the titles was Jungle Action, a collection of jungle genre comics from the 1950s, mostly detailing white men and women saving Africans or being threatened by them. I voiced a lament that I thought it was a shame that in 1973, Marvel was printing these stories and couldn't we have, and couldn't we have a black African hero? And so he he then goes on to talk about how when he took over, he kind of, you know, flipped the script on what jungle action used to be and kind of tried to, you know, do something respectful with the title and, you know, not kind of falling for the white savior tropes. And I think that comes across really strongly in here. And I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, what's his name, Kevin Trueblood? It's almost a self-insert of Don McGregor himself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got that impression, too. Um, this was interesting, because, like, and maybe it's just indicative of the the news outlets that I read, but I had never really heard of Jungle Action. I think I just was, like, when we were talking about reading a Black Panther story because of the, the passing of Chadwick Boseman, I was just, like, Googling good Black Panther stories, and this was just randomly on a list. But then you read about, like, Don McGregor. You read about Billy Graham. 
you read about uh, Jungle Action, and it turns out this was actually a really influential little series. Dwayne McDuffie described Jungle Action as nearly a perfect comic book. Uh, he described Billy Graham as the definitive Black Panther artist. Uh, he, and it was just really amazing to find out. It's like, I thought I had a pretty good grasp on, on comics, right? Uh-huh. But there, it, it's, it's kind of like what we saw with... Uh, red, uh, white, and truth. Truth, red, white, and black. Oh, yeah. Where it's like, there's this whole other history that, like, I just wasn't aware of. And, like, the nice thing, though, is that instead of it being this history of people being oppressed and horrified, there's this great artistic history that I didn't know about that I can now kind of discover. Because I thought Billy Graham's art was amazing. Oh, yeah. I, (laughs) one of the things, so I'm so used to modern Black Panther, specifically in look, right? Like the whole... Uh Uh, kind of the Batman thing where it looks like tights, but really it's, you know, advanced technology, blah, 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 sci-fi crap. Um, I really appreciate that in this book, he is just doing the Superman thing. Like his costume, sure, it's like yep. it's all black. It's a panther man. But if you look, he's wearing like the shorts. He has like the, the, like the boots and the gloves. Like he's a strong man who happens to be a Black Panther man. <laughs> and and he doesn't really have a whole lot in in the term in the sense of like gadgets or armor or anything like that so so when he's you know as you mentioned before he's getting burned on the cross and he is getting burnt on it like they make a point of saying that even though he breaks out of that um well mostly right cuz he's still strapped to it on his back even though he yeah. survives that and he powers through, like he still takes weeks in the hospital to heal up. And it's, I, and I think that makes black Panther even more impressive um, because, yeah. because sure. Like he does, he, and he does mention like the, whatever ritual they have to do. Right. Which I'm assuming is that the purple herb uh, thing from the heart shaped, the heart shaped herb. Yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming that yeah. that's what he's referring to when they ask him, you know, what 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 do you do to be able to survive this and heal up so fast? Um, and uh, but like that doesn't, I mean, that helps, but like it doesn't make him invulnerable. Like, and, and he's constantly talking to himself. Yeah, it was like one of the one of those character moments, like both the moment on the cross and the moment when he is on the uh, water wheel, reminded me of like Steve Ditko art. And that moment in uh, Spider-Man. Yes. Yes. You know, when he's just like, no, Spider-Man, like, you know, you just, you got to do it. Like, yeah, I, and I, and I love it because he's like, he's like, I've gotten out of this before. And he's like, but this is, he's like, this is different. Like, I, I, he's like, I'm being burned alive. And I think what I love the most about it isn't even that, like, it's not necessarily the shock of like being burned alive. Part of him is trying to to process or process what type of person does that to another person? Yeah. And like, that's part of the shock. Isn't so much that, Oh no, I'm being burned alive. It's like, why would you do this to another human? And like, I thought that was real interesting. Part of it. I, li- I do like that. It's not internal monologue. It's just, it's the, the it's a uh, narrator kind of giving us his, his feelings, you know, cause it, cause black Panther isn't going to like quip to himself. He's not Spider-Man. So anytime that a character doesn't just fall into the, 
you know, the funny, plucky hero and, you know, acts in a way that they wouldn't act in any other book when it's not a solo title. I like that. I like mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we see the strength of his character in, you know, very little, very little you know, dialogue in those moments, if any at all, um, where it's just, you know, prize at his lips and in the instant of awareness, his panic almost opens his mouth. Survive. You must survive to fight the next battle. If only the water would cease for a moment and let him think, and then it gets, gets tougher and tougher, and then he overcomes, so. Yeah. But also, I want to talk about these layouts. Again, especially issue 21, which I think is, is far and away just the, the standout issue of this whole thing. Um... Those first couple of pages, page, uh, I guess it's page two in the app, but opening page, you've got the panther tied to the cross, it's on fire, you flip the page over, and the left-hand column, you've got uh, True Blood and Monica talking to each other, and then the right-hand column is just the panther hanging there. And it has this really great effect of, like, this is how long this man is attached to a cross that's on fire. And how agonizing that has to be. And that, you know, that's before you get to the fact that it's just gorgeously illustrated with the the moon in the background that's so large you can see the craters on it. Uh, And then you flip the page over and it's the same thing again where you've got the left-hand column of of, uh, Monica and Trueblood talking and the right-hand column of the panther just in agony. And then he breaks free and he breaks away... And before, it's not too much longer before you get another really great page. It's uh, the double page spread that's on page 11 in the app, where you've got the retelling of what happened to Monica's sister, and it's really kind of horrifying, but then you've got the image of the Black Panther stalking across the page, just for that little bit of added visual interest. This is a really good-looking book. Yeah, I was, uh, I was really impressed and I, I kind of, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I, I looked at this book and I was like, boy, that's a lot of words. Um, and uh, <laughs> as, as, as I often do, that's, uh, you know. If we, as you specifically yes, do. One of these days, you know, our fans will demand merchandise and that will be a shirt. I'll just say, boy, that's a lot of words. <laughs> <laughs> They'll just we'll just take all of all those best quotes and put them in a million speech bubbles yeah. and text boxes, and then it'll just fill yeah. up a shirt. You mean my wife, uh, Gina Carano? <laughs> um, I was gonna say, but and honestly, I think the only book that was hard for me to like read was like nineteen because I, you know you're kind of building an interest. You're kind of it's it's taken a moment to really at least for me it took a moment to really get me in into it. It's a lot of new characters. Um, it's an older book. And so it was a little rough for me. But honestly, once like halfway through issue 19, I was just on for the ride. And I, I loved up until the end. I loved every moment of it. It was it was intense. Seriously. Right? Yeah. This is something I wish we could have seen as a film. I don't know the likelihood of that getting of, of that ever having getting made. But boy, I would have. I would have loved it um, oh, with like a, a good director as a good cinematographer. Uh, I think this, this book could, could be adapted to something great, but uh, probably not going to happen for a while. Not for a while. And I don't see them recasting black Panther anytime soon. Yeah. And it's not unprecedented within even the Marvel cinematic universe though. Right. right Rhodey. 
Terrence Howard. Yep, yep. I mean, that I'm not in a hurry to see that happen. No. Yeah. But um yeah, no, this would be I think a very cathartic story, right? Yes. After this year, mm, I could watch I could watch racist and Nazis getting punched all day. Like mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't, I don't know it's it's I like it um surprisingly grounded for a book of a, you know, man in, in a panther suit. <laughs> punching people um but like i don't know they, uh, yeah. I, I also really like the moment where they go to god I, I hate saying this but when they go to the white supremacist rally um <laughs> and they go the black panther you know they 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 do that whole thing where they're like we're just here to talk and they're like you know you're white and then they try to shoot them and the black panther has like this moment where he gets on top of like construction equipment and he's about to get shot and like that grandpa finally decides to like stop ignoring the issue. Put his cards down. Yeah, and he uses hey, his cards. Literally. <laughs> who's, who's, oh, your, God. Just, who's your favorite that character? That moment was so good. Who's your favorite character in this arc and why is it Lloyd Lane? <laughs> <laughs> that man just wants to finish the game with solitaire, Dagnabbit. Yeah. Yeah, Red Knight to Red King. Yeah. Also, shouldn't be a no, isn't it? Isn't it the joke? No, no, the Jack. No, I gotta. No, Jack. I gotta no, yeah, I think it might be the Jack. I gotta go back. No, no, I think he says Red Knight though. I think you're right. Um, it's very yeah, good. I like him. The whole thing is very yeah. good. He's uh, he's kind of a great character, and and I love that he's not just a jokey character, right? Like he has, he has development. He grows. Um, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like. Huh. You talk about the distasteful part, you know, the they show up at a white supremacist rally. But the rhetoric that those speakers are using is not that different from what the clans like from what the clan actually used like when they were in power. I'm thinking about okay, I feel like I've mentioned this on the podcast very recently and I apologize for repeating myself. Um Slate podcast. Uh they did the Slow Burn podcast where they talk about a lot of historical events and they try to cover them to, to help you understand what it was like to live through them. They did a series recently on the governor candidacy of David Duke, Klansman. And like some of the stuff that these uh, like the Klansmen are, are saying in issue 21, like that stuff David Duke said, like openly as a candidate, for the governorship of Louisiana. Yeah. So not that long ago. And I think that was the bit that really got me about, again, especially those first three issues of the story was how much the, the rhetoric of the clan and how much the situation involving the clan, like hasn't changed. No, it has in the sense that being an overt member of the Ku Klux Klan is very much like out of favor. Um, but people still say the same stuff that the clan said to try to garner support. Yeah. And they still like have a very similar influence on politics in some areas. Uh, probably uh, to, uh, I, I'm a little worried about digging too deeply into that. Lest I find out how bad things are potentially here locally, oh. mm. but it, it's, it's, it's very sobering to see, how much things are still the way that they were when people were talking about the clan in 
you know, 1976 when this story was published. Yeah. And I, and I hate that I've been oblivious to this stuff going on my entire life because, mm-hmm. you know, my family, the people I'm close to, like, they're, they're not racists. But then you learn about, like, oh, wait, are these institutions we've been holding up, are they racist? Oh, no, everything's racist. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, a great comic where it's like, that's not what America's all about. And then they flips through a history book. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. And I, and I think one of my one of my favorite characters in this actually is Kevin Trueblood. Um, He's a very, again, a very real character, right? Like, he picks up... Um, not Monica, what's her sister's name? Angela. Angela Lynn's story at first because, you know, he's he's chasing that Pulitzer. He's chasing the award. Um, but then he has his, his little monologue where he talks about, he's like, but then I was threatened and everybody told me to back down. So, so you know, I backed down for a bit. And he's like, but he's like, but when I do that, but when we do that, that's when we start to lose. That's when our freedom of speech starts to get taken away, not by the government, but by like these these people he's like and i can't i can't in good faith say i love this country knowing it's it's incorrect and not do anything to help make it better not not do anything to help reach it the ideals that i know it could be um and like so he talks a lot about like that you know that that the patriotism that i agree with which is criticizing your country and trying to make it a better country that lives up to the ideals that you know it it's meant to to be um and like that was i thought that was actually a very well done speech and i really kind of appreciated that character in general i like him from the very beginning where like he says man i feel like i should apologize to black panther because uh not all whites are like that um and uh boy let me tell you if that's not a phrase i haven't heard in a lot over the last four years Yep. That's that's what he says in in issue 18. Like, I love freedom and I couldn't live with myself if I turned away from this and pretended it didn't exist. I just hope I don't have to die because I believed in America. It's like, oh, geez, none of these problems have gone away. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also also love that uh, Black Panther threw a man through his windshield and he apologizes for it. Not Black Panther. <laughs> Kevin apologizes to Monica as yeah, he's yeah. giving her a ride through the swamp. He's like, yeah, sorry I have a broken window <laughs> that your boyfriend threw a man through. <laughs> it's my fault for not fixing it. <laughs> they were an item. They were previously uh, fiancé engaged, but uh, not at this point. Yeah, but they, I mean, I don't know. They got pretty cozy. They got pretty cozy during the story of uh, Great Grandpa's lynching. That was an uncomfortable sentence to use in a joke. Well, have you seen the, have you seen Monica's earrings? No, over her earrings. They're they're big gold hoops. They're cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that story uh, about the the like the fantasy story that Monica's telling herself when she's learning her family history. Mm-hmm. Uh, that issue honestly kind of made me uncomfortable. Uh, because of the revisionist history aspect of it. Yes. But then at the end, there was a bit, the very, I think this is the last panel of that issue where Monica's talking to T'Challa and she says, guess I'm just one of those people, T'Challa, who can't take that much reality, but can't close their eyes to it either. And I, I felt that 
Yeah. That shook me because I I feel like that a lot. I have a friend, uh, actually, my old roommate in Portland. I don't know. I, I doubt he listens to this. Um, <laughs> but he absolutely despises Harry Potter culture. Uh, he despises the people that are like, that like, you know, they do the JK Rowling thing and they're like, oh, yeah, Harry Potter would have voted the Democrat or or you know all that crap, right? And cuz cuz he he he's also a very cynical realist, much more than I am. And he kind of he's the type I'm just trying to say Monica Lynn is the exact person he hates. Um those people that just can't like accept reality without maybe inserting something fantastical into it because his whole deal and not life but like politics and kind of the world so yeah i guess kind of his whole deal in life um is that he just kind of looks at stuff the way it is and his kind of philosophy is that if we don't look at the world the way it is we can't fix it so like trying to like use superhero analogies is just hurtful and that issue really kind of made me uh made me think about him a lot um yeah, and and this this and that's kind of what I was alluding to a little bit back when at the beginning of this of, of you know talking about this story, is that I appreciate that, yeah, this is you know at the end of the day this is a superhero comic about, uh, you know African, uh, Afrofuturist king, uh, who eats a heart shaped plant, dresses around like a black cat and punches people, um, but like I I appreciate that it remained kind of grounded in the portrayal of just kind of the insidiousness of the clan and the unfortunate kind of reality that, you know, uh, 40 years later, we still can't quite get rid of them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry to bring it back down again. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think I need a little bit of an escape from a reality after that. Cool. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing. Like I, I sympathize with your, with your old roommate. And frankly, I used to think the same thing. It's like, no, like fiction isn't just for escapism. If all you're doing is is just you know getting out of your troubles, then you're like foolish. Like I used to think very, very, like very much along those same lines. But I'm looking at uh, you know, this story, and like, can you really fault Monica for wanting to escape a little bit? Her sister was literally framed for uh, or not framed like. Her sister was murdered and they made it look like a suicide. Mm-hmm. And it's like, her life is hard. A little bit of fantasy is not going to hurt her if it helps her to function yeah. in fighting all of the terrible stuff. Right? Yeah. He And that's, I think, part of the reason that line got to me so mm-hmm. much at the end. Because it's like, look, I know things are bad. I'm not going to ignore that things are bad. Um, yeah. I just, it's hard. I can't handle it sometimes, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and part of, uh, the part where he and I kind of end up butting heads quite a bit on is he says, you know, fiction or fantasy or whatever is irresponsible. If it doesn't reflect or do anything to address real issues. Um, he's like, if you just have a story like Harry Potter, right? Like you just have a story where, where this kid defeats, uh, you know, wizard Hitler and everything comes out hunky dory and all right. And like, he's like, that's irresponsible. And that's kind of where he and I kind of butt heads. Because, yeah, like, the real world doesn't operate that way, right? You don't, when you kill Voldemort, you don't automatically get rid of all the Death Eaters and 
all of a sudden all that rhetoric goes away, uh, you know, kind of as the book would have you to believe. But I don't know. I think it's small doses. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's also a bigger issue, right? I don't know. I don't, I don't know that this is the podcast to talk about that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The podcast to talk about how seriously to take fiction? Like, <laughs> what? I, I feel like that's kind of the thing we do. Yeah, like we actually. We talk about the 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 deeper metaphors and the escapism like that's, that's us we could do yeah. that <laughs> i guess i just don't want to derail this whole thing from uh black panther punching nazis in the face oh <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. to be fair yeah i as as you know great as some of the things are i was i was like missing that and like yeah it got canceled so there wasn't the I'm missing that kind of closure, but like, man, I wanted to see some like, such as some like justice dished out, you know. We may have to like earmark the the conclusion and go back and read it at some point. I don't think it's in the app, but yeah, keep an eye out. Well, for it. they keep adding stuff to the app. Maybe they'll. Yeah, because I think well, the thing the problem with it was it wrapped up in Marvel Knights, and I don't think there's a whole lot of Knights stuff in the. Oh, I thought it was just the Black Panther title uh from what i understood i think it wrapped up in marvel knights yeah i think it actually ran in two other titles before they finally got to the end of it i'll I'll have to double check that my facts on that though uh did did you guys have one of the pages i forget which comic that we read but one of the pages like it looked like there was (laughs) the 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 inking uh, was smudged yes okay (laughs) so that that confirms i was like okay so they're adding titles just as fast as they can scan them i guess yeah yep (laughs) and the uh (laughs) <laughs> and there was one it, I think it was actually issue 24 of the Black Panther where like it was a double page spread but the scan of the pages was misaligned but they fixed part of it like the the art of the figures looks right but there's a word balloon or something that crosses the pages and it's misaligned oh I think I remember that yeah it's it's during his fight with Wendigle or whatever the guy's name was Wendigle can we talk about Wendigle's uh, costume Man, I wish I had the confidence of like a 1970s superhero to wear those types of shorts. Well, it means like long sleeves and and uh, underwear. Like, what a weird combo. Yeah, but I mean, if you got the calves to put to pull it off, why wouldn't you? Yeah. But I think, yeah. although you said that it was kind of like the Falcon's costume. Yeah, like this classic costume. Yeah, it's there's a, yeah, it's a copy of his, like the technology and all that stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to remember because I early uh, Falcon comics. I feel like I've seen that old costume. I think he still had pants. Yeah, like when he's when he's flying and the way his his arms come out and the wings and everything like that is similar. But I'm pretty sure he had pants. I'm gonna what, look it up. What was his name? Is it just the Falcon? Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, looks like he was rocking the opposite. Uh, do you know pants? No sleeves. <laughs> Short sleeves. Oh, yeah. No sleeves. No sleeves. That look is much better. It is. Gotta say, I I hope. I hope that was a very intentional thing where they're like, listen, Falcon has pants, no sleeves. We got to give this guy a whole shirt, no no legs. <laughs> Wendigo does not skip leg day. No. Nah, nah, nah. Look at those Unless you're talking about clothing your leg day. Yeah, okay. Because he doesn't do that. Are we ready to rank these, do you think? Yeah. I feel like I could talk for like another half hour on uh, Panther versus the Clan, but uh, I'm good to go rank. <sighs> I could talk for another half hour on it too, I think, but I also think I need to go to bed. So, <laughs> okay, uh, I think we can call this first Wolverine story Where Walks the Sentinel or Jubilee's Revenge or something like that. 
That yeah, I mean that's the first title and then the third title. So either one I think works. Jubilee's All Revenge. Right. All right, cool. Uh, Jubilee's Revenge. We're, I think that'll help us remember what happened in it better. Where do we want to rank Jubilee's Revenge? Uh, um, I want to put it like in that sweet like sixties area. Maybe a little higher, what I'm thinking. Like, I don't know, above Avengers vs. X-Men, but not like that much. Actually, no. Never mind. I'll be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard one to rank because it's like, I feel like we have to put it low because uh, a part of it is like, you know, you're going to recommend books to people to read. And this is never going to be like... You recommend this versus just about anything else, and you're almost always going to recommend the other book over this. But the lower this goes, the more it's like, this is a bad story. It's like, well, it's not bad. It's just kind of there, you know? Yeah, it's just, It's know, disposable. Filler kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like it's nice little character moments, but not like, it's not quite the same story as like Death of Electra or, you know, Beta Ray Bill, like, you know. This story is a Three Musketeers bar. And it's like, if somebody was like, do you want a steak or a Three Musketeers bar? And it's like, they're both good, but I want a steak. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say like Three Musketeers, but it needs it needs more caramel to make it Milky Way. Or it needs nuts to make it Snickers, you know? Right, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I think I have the perfect You would ruin a Three Musketeers. I, I, I think I found the perfect spot for this story. Actually. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, and let me let me see what you guys think. I think it goes at seventy six, just beneath the NBC Wintertime Winter Friends Winter Fun Special, just above Five Ronin. I hate that title I so much. Better than, I think it's better than Five Ronin, but I don't know. I you know I feel like that's about as good a spot as as any. Yeah. Okay. Because like it's not essential at all, yeah. but it's kind of fun, and I mean. NBC Wintertime Winter Friends Winter Fun Special was a good book, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a it's a good little comic that if you read it devoid of anything else, if you just read it as a one-off, it's kind of like whatever. It's kind of the same thing with this, I think. Yeah. That's fair. I, again, though, I feel bad putting it that low because it's not a bad story. Yeah, not at all. It's just, I don't know, man. It's just like, the way the three musketeers crumbles. stories for, for quite a bit. Oh, I didn't do the thing where I was like, hey, uh, the, this is the list that we've got. So yeah, number 76 is about three quarters of the way through because we've got 112 stories on our list. Yeah, issue, like, number 21 on our list currently is The God Butcher by Jason Aaron. This is me grabbing random stories like you guys keep telling yes. me I should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> he does listen. And number 70 was Ultron Unlimited, the, <laughs> the Avengers story arc that was kind of forgettable, apparently. Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot that happens in it except that Ultron shows up. And that's mostly because his name's in the title. <laughs> I was going to say because his name's in the title. <laughs> there are hundreds of Ultrons. They keep popping up and they have different numbers in their foreheads and the Avengers are like, how many of these are there? And Ultron 476 shows up and is like, uh, you guys, there's a lot of us. <laughs> I honestly think it's about, that's uh, I, I don't know, maybe like 90 that's really, or not 90, because, uh, yeah, around 90, that's really when they just start, like, uh. <laughs> Actually kind of getting bad, right? Yeah. Why was that New Warrior story so low? <laughs> okay, I, yeah, 95 is when they actually start getting bad. Yeah. I like Rise of the Midnight Suns, but, yeah, it's kind of bad. Yeah, it's not, okay. not great. Yeah, about 95, that's, you got, you know, a good solid 20 titles down there <laughs> that are not great. 
Man, that was probably the worst part about this podcast was realizing uh, that Psylocke book was not great. And they, and that's like a book I bought. Like, I have that book physically. <laughs> yeah. All right. Black- we, should, we should have padded the list with some crap, but... We are working on it. <laughs> okay. How about uh, Panther versus the Clan? I'm going to put this out there before I get voted down and uh, you guys get whatever you want. But it's an incomplete story. It is. And that's very unsatisfying. Yes. I, I agree. I don't know how much that hurts this, but it definitely does hurt it, right? Yeah, because the other argument is like every pose of Black Panther is amazing. So the art's really tight throughout. Yeah. I don't know. My, my gut reaction before you said that, about it being incomplete. My gut reaction was to put it near truth, red, white, and black. Um, because I think it tackles not the same, not the exact same like subject matter, but like thematically it kind of does, if that makes sense. Um, but red, white, and black is, is a complete story. Here's the thing though, like in, and again, Democracy, we can take this in whatever direction. I would absolutely re- recommend somebody read The Panther versus the Clan before I recommended Truth, Red, White, and Black. Even with it being an incomplete story, I want to put it pretty high. How high are you talking? Uh, I think where I really start to slow down is when I get to like 25. Yeah, I... Uh... I again, I, I'm really, really high on this. Point. Yes. But I recognize that incomplete story that does have to hold it back. But man, I really like it. It's an incomplete story. And it also, I think it could be a little bit more graceful in its first issue. Where, Okay, because that's a problem too, right? The first issue isn't actually a first issue. It's issue number 19. So it, it kind of tries to like load you with information on who all the characters are. And I don't know if that could have been done a little bit more gracefully. Like, that was my big problem with it, was the first issue of this story. Um, Because it's a lot to take in. And that's something of similar issues of, you know, comics before a certain date, you know. Yeah. Before the wonderful splash page summary at the beginning of a story. I love those now that they do that, where it's just like, we don't have to waste, you know, space later on. You know, sometimes doing flashbacks where they show the same thing that was in previous panels. It's like, come on, guys. Like, you're wasting half your book now telling me about the last book. And it's like, I understand that, like, every comic someone's first comic. But you gotta, you know, use your space better. Yeah. I, I think part of where I'm struggling is uh, I would love to put this above, like, Squirrel Power and the boys are back. <laughs> but, like... Something about Shuri kind of makes me not want to put this higher than Shuri for whatever reason. Yeah, I I think that's a better. That's that's where I'm struggling because I'm going almost up there to like where Steven is. And it, it almost feels disrespectful to Black Panther versus the Klan to put it below. What if magic became Sorcerer Supreme? Because that's just, you know, that's just the story about, you know, a teenage girl figuring out her magic. Witch powers and becoming, but it was really, it was really good. <laughs> but it's also not about the real life clan. <laughs> so like, I, I I don't know. I'm really struggling on where to put this book. 
I don't think we I don't think we should fault any book for not being that realistic because there's you know there's books on here about a guy who can shoot webs <laughs> you know That's- there's a guy a guy with a magic hammer metal skeleton <laughs> let's let's just like a little perspective like you know oh they didn't they didn't tackle the they didn't tackle the hard hitting issues of magic wielding hammers in my neighborhood you know like <laughs> you know i guess by that criteria uh anthem blue cross presents city under siege <laughs> should have been a lot higher if we were going for yes. realism <laughs> like i think it's important to be like you know culturally relevant but also doesn't have to like hit the same issues the same i mean i skip the every time i watch the west wing i skip the uh, weird like 9-11 tie-in you know because it's like what this is a version of, this is a version of this of the u.s without you know that kind of stuff going on i guess so all right, uh, I don't know. Wherever you guys want to put it, I'm pretty comfortable with, with, with whatever. John, you actually haven't recommended a spot yet. Where are you thinking? Lower than you guys. I just... It, oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I I didn't quite connect with it, you know? And so, yeah. I, I think... You're not a Kevin Trueblood? <sighs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start using that as a reference, and nobody will ever understand what I'm talking about. Is that, that's for, like... You know, a, a woke white guy. You're yeah. Kevin Trueblood. You're not uh, a Kevin Trueblood. I don't even know what you're talking about, man. <laughs> if you're not a Kevin Trueblood, you're a Sheriff Roderick Tate. <laughs> oh. Now, are they all going to start some stuff? Was I the only one getting a feeling that maybe he was uh, part of the plot? Like, not the plot. I mean, obviously part of the plot. He's in there. Uh he was he was part of like the clan plan. Uh, yeah, I I kind of yeah. got that impression okay, too. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Uh, I hate that that rhymes and sounds so good. The clan plan. <laughs> I I hate when I love the creations of things I hate. <laughs> <laughs> Where's our like above this line? No racism is allowed, and below this line, like is that Wolverine? <laughs> so it's gotta go. Yeah, I than think Wolverine. so. I think. <laughs> Yeah, below Wolverine, no. <laughs> Which puts it in the same neighborhood as Which Truth, I Red, think White, it's much Black, better than that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the art was so yeah. bad. I did not like it at all. I would put it below Forever. You know, Forever told a story as kind of meh as it was. How about we put it above Shuri? We'll call it good. We'll just split, cut it right down the middle. I think that's the middle. I'm not good at math. <laughs> I don't know. I, I actually think I'd be okay if we put it between uh, Forever and Truth. Like, I'm really high on the book, but honestly, I think I'm just really high on that yeah. one issue. That is a really that strong issue. issue. Is so good. That is such a good Wait, wait, issue. we're talking about the same issue? Um, talking about burning, the one where... Cross. Yeah, issue 21. Having, yeah. having yeah, okay. Kevin and Monica's conversation while Panther's struggling was... Yeah. 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 yeah, that's a good issue. And we didn't even mention the fact that in the issue right before that, the Black Panther goes shopping in his full costume <laughs> at the supermarket, and some old lady bashes him in the back oh, of the head. The, oh, oh my gosh. The whole first page is a rant about, like, recession prices and stuff in the 70s. Like, ah, ground beef's up 20 cents, but you gotta eat. Ah. Oh, can I can I say, uh, you know, our, our big, a big theme of this book, of our conversation about this book was, boy, I can't believe how many things haven't changed. Yep. Boy, that I hate that two white dudes try to kill, a, try to you know stab a black woman, and the police shoot the guy in in black. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> it's too real, Roy. Uh, it's too real. <laughs> it's too real. Um. Uh, yeah. Anyways, what we're saying, like above. 
above or below forever. Yeah, let's put it below forever, above truth, red, mm-hmm. white, and black. Again, I think this is a like a really strong recommendation, but yeah. uh, no, I think John's yeah. right that the the fact that it's incomplete Pantless, does really hurt. Pantless Wind Eagle can't uh, can't save you. I mean those. I mean those <laughs> legs can lift a lot, but certainly not not the uh, not the ending to this. <laughs> okay, so next time, what we're gonna read. This will be fun. I'm excited about this because we're going to read a character that I like don't know anything about. Uh, we are going to read the, uh, I believe this is the origin story of Anya Corazon, who is Aranya. Uh, I, like, I, I don't know much about this character. We, we mentioned her, I think, in the podcast, I think maybe last episode. Um, she debuted in the 2004 series of Amazing Fantasy, issue number one. We're going to read her first story arc, which is the first six issues. So Amazing Fantasy 2004, issues one through six. We're also going to read a story that I quite like. I'm excited to to revisit this because I haven't read it in probably a couple years now. Uh, We're going to read the first five issues of the Silver Surfer series from 2014 that was written by uh, Dan Slott with art by Mike Allred. I've always introduced it as what if the Silver Surfer was also Doctor Who? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's basically You know, what it is. if we lived in a different timeline, we would be reading the book by Dan Slott and Michael Allblue. I've been holding on to that yeah. for like four or five years. Cut me a break. You know, you should have let it marinate a little <laughs> yeah. bit longer. It, it was like. never going to get any better. I just... <laughs> it's never going to get any better. I need to dump it somewhere. 